we do serve a mighty God. That we are, uh, and I say that uh, we a mighty God serves us in our needs. God is not lacking. He come to us and say, you know, that uh, uh, I am uh, deficient, so therefore will you meet my needs. God has no needs that aren't already met within himself. He's a holy, powerful, awesome God. And so when I say we serve uh, a mighty God, it just means we're acknowledging his service to us to save us, to sustain us, to glorify uh, places in glory. And at any time we have needs, we ask of him. But our service is in obedient response to a great God in how we're going to serve him by representing him in this world. There are needs everywhere. And you realize that God in his grace serves us often by serving through us to meet the needs of someone else. Over the uh, last few weeks and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to walk through uh, what uh, we're entitling the radical year. You know, how Christ can transform our lives. And, and we simplify this by saying live, love, and lead. All right, we're going to live as a worshiper. Because that's the first of any creation that we worship him. Seek him and we acknowledge how great he is personally. We do that corporately. And then we do it cheerfully as we just contribute that which God has given us. And our resources, we're going to give that back to him. That goes into the live category. We're in the section of love. How do we love as a community? We love God, but God has also called us to love one another. And as he has assembled those together that love him, we love one another. We love each other by encouraging, as we spoke about last week. All right, so let me step back in here that we love as a community by how we serve one another. We serve with the church. Some of the greatest uh, illustrations of, of love is how we serve. If I were to tell my wife, I love you with my words, but never serve any of her needs, she would begin to question, is there anything that backs up the words? Are they empty? And so serving is, is essential, and that's where I'm taking us today. How do we love as a community? By serving. Love as a community by serving the ministry of the church. It's a challenging subject in our world when we talk about serving. Most in our world seek to be served and not to serve. Many in our day demand their rights. People expect others to notice them and to surrender to their will. I mean, basically the whole concept of, of social media influencers, platforms that are built with the intention of being followed, admired, and they shout out, look at me. Look at me. When you look at me, I can make money. When you, when you serve me, then I become better or greater in some position. So much self-glory, self-esteem, self-promotion and pride dominate our world. It's sad in our world, but it's also sad in the church today. Nationwide. Selfish tendencies have found their way into Christianity. There is a prevailing thought. I would like Christianity my way. I, I, if I want to follow God, can he do it this way? Not the ways he's determined or, or the way that may be best in his eyes. How many times over the 25, 30 years I've been in the ministry, 
And I've heard people say, well, I'd like church my way. I know other people like it, but I want it my way. If I'm going to go to church, it has to be like I want all the time, everywhere. D.A. Carson, a theologian of, one of the best theologians of our generation, says one of the ironies of language is that a word like minister, which is in its root refers to helper, one who ministers has become a badge of honor and power in religion and politics. People carry around a badge of minister, but really they're just trying to rise above and, and be a greater position that can be seen and served rather than serve. What is needed more than ever in this generation, it ought to be exuding through the church, through Christianity, is a humble attitude. How do we serve one another? In the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Oh, how we need that kind of humility in the world today. And it ought to exude from the church. I'm not sure the world is convinced the church is humble. Too often I think they see us as proud and arrogant and, and separated for a, a, a way that we just don't care. Oh, how we ought to exude humility through how we serve one another, how we love one another. They will know you are his disciples, Jesus said. They will know you're a disciple by how you love one another. Now, considering Micah 6.8, I think Jesus kind of summarized that same section this way in, in Matthew chapter 20. In verse 26, 27, and 28, he says it this way. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I consider the Old Testament heroes of the faith, the, uh, people like Abraham, who humbly walked with God and then was chosen to serve as the father of the entire nation of Israel. Or Moses, who was hiding out in the desert, and he followed God's calling, humbly following the Lord by serving as the rescuer of the Israelites in Egypt. David, who was a man after God's own heart, humbly followed the Lord and served as the leader of the kingdom. We are called to love as a community by how we serve one another. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 20 through 28, Lord willing. If you don't have a Bible with you, pick up the Bible, uh, the black Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can turn to page 775. By the way, if you don't have a Bible or you need an upgrade, uh, just take the Bible that's in the pew rack. That's a gift, a service gift uh, from our church to you. Because I'd much rather you have a Bible in your hands throughout the week than it's simply collecting dust in this room throughout the week. If you don't have a Bible, take that with you as a gift. Today I'd like to just walk through this passage of these four, uh, eight verses of Matthew 20, 20 through 28. And, and kind of look at it in two different sections. First, he's going to explain to us through this narrative, through this well, real-life story, what's going on, this conversation, of what serving is not. Labeling it real clearly as we walk through. This is not serving. 
This is another thing that you're trying to claim. And then he's going to just end this section with what serving is. Uh, if you're taking notes, you'll see that in the back of the handout, but I'll uh, have the, uh, the words up here up on the screen that may be helpful. So what, is, what serving is not? As you look at verse 20, uh, Jesus uh, begins this conversation. The, the mother, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, which is John, uh, James and John, came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him. You know, she's humbly asking him for something. In verse 21, and, and he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. Let me just say, now I see this, and Jesus is going to answer her and lead her through this uh, understanding, but serving is not about position. There are some people who will take a position because, oh, well, I'm going to serve in this position, but they're looking for the title, some position. Oh, yes, I serve on the board of X, Y, and Z. You know, they may not actually, uh, in any humility uh, in them, uh, be uh, taking a title and a position. Oh, can the nominating committee of the church call me? I'd like my name on that, that list that I serve with that committee. They don't show up to the meetings. They don't really do anything, but they have the title. You know, because everybody wants something in the obituary that says, you know, they were a member of X and Y, you know, certain church, and, and they served on these committees. Wonderful. And here you got this mama. I've always found that fascinating. If you want a position, uh, what's the best way to get it? Ask your mom to go ask for you. That's not true. <laughs> this is a loving mom. I'm guaranteed. These two boys, I, I don't know, and the text doesn't uh, allude to it, were these boys talking about this at home? Oh, I wish we could have this position, and mom's overhearing them and, and, and saying, well, I think we should just ask. You know, maybe, I don't know how this all came about, but this mom certainly had a heart. It, it reminded me of a time, though, I was completely embarrassed, and I know my mom will watch the service, and she'll call me later, so I'm just, I'm telling you uh, up front. All right, so uh, when I was a, a high school student, I played football. And I remember one time I was so frustrated after a practice because something had said, something the coach had did, and I was just like, I don't agree with that. You know, and what do you do? You just yell at the coach? No. You just go home and you kind of rant about it, and then you go back to practice and you humbly submit, right? Well, I went home and I just kind of, I must have been talking out loud too much. And, and my mom thought, you know, I'm just going to call that coach and tell him that he has upset my son. I just, I don't think it's right. And she calls him, and I overhear the conversation after she gets on the phone. You know, coach, you've upset my son. You've hurt his feelings. And I'm melting behind the scenes. When she got off, I was very angry, and she thought, why are you angry with me? I'm trying to help you, and I understand that, but I'm like, no, because I've got to go back to practice tomorrow, and I'm going to pay the price for that phone call. How many understand what I'm talking about? You know, there's going to be a lot more laps and a lot more. And, and don't you think that every coach is going to tell every player, yeah, he had his mama call him. <laughs> you know, he's going to sit on the bench for the next, the next three games. Listen, it's not always helpful for mom to take over. But I will say that even the text alludes to what she's asking for. If you look back in chapter 19, you know, as she's asking, hey, if, if, if there's going to be some guys sitting next to you, can my boys be there? I'm proud of them. Back in chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus had already said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
So either she heard it or, the, uh, or these two young men heard it, but they're all expecting that. So, hey, when you're kind of getting the one that's going to sit close to you, how about these two boys? But is it because they want to serve him humbly and be asked, or is it for a position that they could be proud of? There's a big difference when you're serving. Serving is not about position. So let's go on in verse 22 so you can understand the context. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am uh, to drink? I see the section of serving is not about pleasure. Oftentimes, serving will cost you. If you're signing up for position and title, if you're signing up to serve out of the pleasure you're going to receive, sometimes the, the, the most humble positions of serving will not give you any pleasure other than the fact that you know you're contributing because God has called you to do it. But there's no joy in it in the sense of, of what you're going to get in return. Sometimes you're in such a lowly position that nobody recognizes what you're doing. Nobody's, you know, doing parades in your honor. You know, no one's giving you a bonus because of, you know, something. Oftentimes the, the, the greatest service we give is never seen by anybody. So it's not about pleasure. And, and Jesus goes right after that. When he talks about that cup, that cup, a cup is a common Old Testament metaphor for suffering. He's basically saying, are they able to drink the suffering that I'm about to drink? And I don't think they fully understood yet what he was about to suffer. Jesus asked if they were prepared to experience rejection, persecution, and even death for their faith. These two young, young men would experience, and Jesus knew it. G, uh, James was killed for his faith in Acts chapter 12 by Herod, the king. He was killed by sword. John was exiled to the island of Patmos until he died. These deaths were dramatic answers to Jesus' question, are they able to drink the cup that I, am, that I am drinking? James was the first of the apostles to be martyred. John was the last apostle to die as a prisoner in exile. Each of their cups had their own difficulty. James's cup came more shocking, with shocking suddenness, and John's was a wearisome waiting for his expiration. But he asked, you want to sit next to me? You want that position? You think it's going to be pleasurable when you really serve me? You're going to pay the price. They said to him, we are able. <laughs> or so they thought. They had no idea what was to come. But they were saying, yes, we're able. And Jesus knew their heart. He, he knew what, where they were going. In verse 23, he said to them then, you will drink my cup. Are you going to follow me? There will be some unpleasurable times. You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. Listen, serving is not always pleasurable. If you're only signing up to, uh, to serve because you think you're going to get some type of reward on your investment, you're going to get some kind of pleasurable uh, accolades for that, uh, that's not always true. So the question is, would you still be willing to serve if you didn't have a title and nobody noticed and it wasn't pleasurable? But the conversation continues. 
In verse 24, he said, and then the ten heard it. It's like the football players on my team when they heard my mama call. <laughs> and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. These other disciples were angry. Perhaps they were jealous. I don't think they were listening in to see how Jesus uh, uh, would answer and give them those positions. They were hoping they wouldn't get those positions and that they would. But I'm afraid they, they, were, you know, they were selfish in their thinking, just like these two brothers that were being asked about. Oftentimes we'll see uh, like a doubting Thomas and blame, oh, well, he was doubting. I think a lot of them were doubting, as it says in the scriptures at the end of uh, Matthew. They were all doubting and struggling. But we'll tag the doubter onto Thomas. I think uh, these two, two uh, uh, brothers who uh, their mother was speaking on behalf of, I think all of their mothers could have showed up and done the same thing. All of them were struggling with the sense of serving, wanting first place. One of the things I see here is that serving is not about prestige. I mean, what, what were these two brothers desiring, or at least their mother desiring for them? What were the other disciples probably desiring? They may not say it out loud, but I hope he picks me. I hope I can be right next to him. Too often uh, people believe that, that if I just make it to the top, I'll be seen, I'll be known by everybody, I'll be loved, I'll be admired. Listen, if that is your motivation, if I just uh, try to earn my way to the top, then everybody will just think I'm all that. If that's your motivation, you will be disappointed. One of the struggles for many leaders, and we've seen over the last decade or so, many fallen leaders, uh, even in the church, across the nation, it, it just, it crushes me. That humble men of God who served him, and then they, they rose to the top because of their giftedness, because of God's blessings, but they got to a position that it became very lonely at the top. And what I say is, you know, and I've heard the testimonies of many of our fallen uh, uh, spiritual leaders that have fallen. They said, you know, when I got uh, to a, a larger, uh, a larger congregation, I got to a higher position that everybody was vying for my attention, but not because they loved me. They just wanted to be near me so they could take that position or be near me all the time. So they would lessen their relationship circle. And it got, for some of them, they testified they got so lonely, they didn't have any friends at the top. And therefore, what, when you have no accountability, you know, nobody you can trust around your circle, you think everybody's just taking advantage of everything or using you for their own intention, temptation slips in, and this is why most of them fall. Sexual temptation, financial temptation, because they don't have anybody close enough around them anymore. They didn't start that way. But that's how they ended up falling. You think, oh, if I can just earn this position, I'll be great. I'll be in a position that everybody will support me and love me and all that. And that is not true. Anybody who reaches the top is the number one place to have arrows shot at you. Nobody cares when you're at the bottom. Nobody pays attention. Nobody, you know, nobody pays, you know, no, uh, you know any mind or any efforts. But if you're humbly serving and you get to the top, don't think that everybody's just going to love you there. No, you'll have more enemies than you've ever had. And so it's not about prestige. And here these young men were listening to uh, this mother about her sons. And, and they're always just, they're indignant of what's happening here. Do you serve just for your own fame? Do you serve just so people will notice you? 
Do you want a mission trip just so you can take pictures and post them? Or are you there to serve as dirty and, and as grungy as it gets? And it's okay if nobody notices because you're not doing it for you. The conversation goes on in verse 25. But Jesus called them, uh, called, uh, them to him and said, called all of them now together, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They've got these positions, and they're lording it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Jesus is saying here, serving is not about power. So often people will say that, oh, oh if you get that title, you get that position, you're going to have so much power. And you know what? Quite frankly, that is abused often. I'll confess, there are a lot of people who get uh, positions that over-exercise an authority. They don't really have a position of power that they should never uh, give. If it's not a, a, a humble leader, if it's not somebody who's, who's going in and always continuing to have a conversation with those uh, among, then it is an abuse of power. And quite frankly, the, I have been accused of that already here at this church. If I suggest something, you're, it must be because you want to abuse some kind of power. And I can only imagine that must have taken place in the past because it was so quick as a response for something that I suggested. As I suggested elders, it must be because you want power brokers in the church. No, because I want a biblical church, and that's what it says in the Scriptures. And it has nothing to do with power. It has to do with praise that we would seek God's best in our church. This power thing that people are... I have never, let me just confess, I, I, this is not in my notes, I just got to say, I have never suggested this would not be a congregational church. Congregational, we will vote. You will vote on your leaders. You will vote on, on major decisions in our church. That's how it's always been. That's how it will continue to be. But if you don't have godly leaders, and if you leave me as a solo pastor, isolated with no other godly wisdom around me, you will penalize your church. You will hurt the church. Because I am not above temptation. I am not above uh, uh, being sucked in to some way that, that will lead us the wrong way. So what do I need? I need a council of elders around me who will pray and support and keep me out of trouble. That's how we serve one another. It's not about power. It's not about prestige. It's not about position. It's about giving God all the praise. That we could serve him as we serve our community together. So what is serving them? I want to move into this last section. I mean, I know the world's ways is always about getting ahead and controlling others and, 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 and serving uh, or, or, you know, trying to be served. Gary Fosdell, in a book he wrote, said this one quote that I haven't gotten over yet. You won't know what it's like to be a servant until you've been treated like one. You won't know what it's like to be a servant until you've been treated like one. And I think in those moments, then you realize that you're truly being a servant because it's not about you. It's just what you're doing for others. So what is serving? Here's, here's two main points I'll bring out of here. Number one, Serving is greatness. Notice verse 26. How Jesus takes the turn here and says, you, you want to be great? Serve. 
You want, to, you want to rise, then descend into servitude. Because those who humble themselves will be lifted up. Whoever wants to be first, just go ahead and be the slave and serve. Even as the Son of Man, who, the perfect example, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He was God on high. And he came down not to take but to give. Chapter 19, verse 30, he had already said, but many who are first will be last and the last first. In chapter 20, verse 16, he said, so the last will be first and the first last. In the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 27, for whoever is greater, uh, no, for who is the greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. I mean, look at these words just listed right down. Great equals servant. First equals slave. Son of man equals serve. You're going to be great. You're going to be first. You want to be like Jesus? Then you're a servant, slave, and you're serving. That's our calling. Serving is greatness, and serving is giving, and truly giving of yourself. Look how he concludes this section. And to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to give your life for others, for their benefit. I mean, Jesus himself provided the perfect example of serving. It was Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. To understand the greatness of Jesus, I believe we have to observe what he did in his death for you and I. It was amazing. He was not a sinner. He was tempted in every way just as we are, but yet without sin. But he came and took on flesh so that you and I could have salvation. He served us in the, in the most consequential way. Verse 28 alludes to his substitutionary atoning death for us. He gave his life as a ransom, as a payment that was due. He didn't, God didn't sweep our sins under the rug. No, he said it, there must be death because of the wrath of God against sin. And Jesus stepped in our place and said, I'll take that wrath upon myself and I'll give them my holiness. He gave his life, which is the true essence of serving. What Jesus modeled, he requires of us a heart of sacrificial service, giving of ourselves for the benefit of others. We desperately need more examples of that in this world. People willing to give their lives for others so that they may know Jesus and the eternal salvation he offers. In this age of celebrity Christianity, widespread abuses of religious power and self-indulgent church life. Oh, how we need Jesus to shine through his serving church. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, displays two different categories of serving. He says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. If you're going to uh, have a gift of speaking, then speak about God and his truths. 
Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. All of our serving ought to bring glory to God. Let them see your good works, that they may glorify your Father in heaven. How do we serve one another? So in conclusion, I want to, uh, to turn our attention to application. How am I serving is the question you need to ask. How am I serving now? How am I serving in a way that, that I get no benefit from it other than the joy of, of obeying God and get, giving to others? Second question, who benefits from my life? In the context of church, in the relationship we have with one another, partnering together for the, for the gospel, you know, we, we can be members of the church, but truly we've got to be partners for the gospel. We've got to be able to, to work together in order to, to, to love one another and extend the outreach of our church of grace that needs to be connected in our community. People are dying and going to hell as, as we have intramural debates about things that don't matter. We've got to partner together, love one another, serve one another so that we can serve those who don't know Jesus. So I'm going to give you a 90-day service challenge. 90 day, February, March, April. And I, you can even uh, register it on the website if you want to just let us know where you'd like to serve. No complaining about the church anyway. You're going to find a ministry of the church where you can serve someone else. Some of that is, and it's already being done by many, but uh, could you visit the sick and the shut in members? There are many. How can we serve them, those who aren't able to attend, those who are maybe still COVID shy and, and, and just don't feel safe in getting out? How can we love them and serve them in a way, letting them know that, that Jesus hasn't forgotten them and neither have we? How could we write a note of encouragement to someone and serve them? How could we volunteer in the nursery or a one or, or the upcoming Easter egg hunt that we'll be having so we can uh, minister our community and make some connections? Maybe the student ministry. As Tim's got on board and he's got a lot of things going, how could you come and help the next generation know Jesus? How could you uh, maybe use your musical gifts? You want to be in the choir or you can play an instrument or, or help prepare for the Easter musical that we've got. Maybe you've not been a part of any of our, our worship ministry, but now's the time. Hey, for the next 90 days leading up to Easter, I want to be a part to help because we're going to pack out this service with people who don't know Jesus. We're going to invite over 10,000 homes uh, to our service. I don't know where we'll put everybody, but I'm going to just pray the Lord draws people to himself, and we'll see people saved. How can you help with that service in the music ministry, whether you play, whether you, you sing, whether you can work with these guys at the top who, you know, nobody notices these guys at the top unless something goes wrong. But we need to appreciate these guys at the top. Would you just give them a hand just for a second? Thank you. <clears throat> We might get frustrated sometimes, but we love you. We're glad that you're there. Without you, we wouldn't have what we have. How many of you are hospitable and you can help with the Connections Cafe or the greeter ministry? How people are greeted in the first five minutes of the church makes all the difference. That's before we've ever sang anything, prayed anything, or preached anything. It's how they get from the, from the street to their seat. What happens in that place? We need more hospitable, outgoing people to help just with the greeting ministry. Maybe you can help prepare Wednesday night fellowship meals as we come together before a want inquire. Perhaps you have a heart for special needs. 
That's been a, a, a ministry need in our church for some time, and, and I think it's time to rebirth that ministry need. You don't know how many families stay at home because they have a special needs child and they just don't know where to go, where they will be accepted and loved and ministered to. It's time for us to serve a, a section of our Lynchburg community that feels isolated and alone. If we had special needs kids in here, would you accept them and love them and allow them space to worship? Absolutely. We're going to put some intentional efforts there in the near future. Uh, so be praying for that ministry, and perhaps that might be something that the Lord is prompting you to be a part of. Or maybe there's another, another ministry you have a heart for. Are you willing to, to at least commit for 90 days so that we might love as a community? You can go to that, that website, and it'll just help us to know, kind of track where people are plugged in. Maybe you're already plugged in somewhere. Just let us know that, that you're there. You know, if 100 people today were to commit to serving just a, an hour a week, what would be accomplished? I mean, 100 hours of volunteer service a week, 400-plus hours a month, 1,200-plus hours of service in 90 days. Imagine the impact in 90 days from us just giving of our lives to serve someone else. 